at large levels, right? You're talking $150,000, $200,000 a weekend in wow. Vegas. You got to put in a structure for yourself, right? Otherwise, forget about it. Right. This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Today, listeners, we have a specialist in the coin and valuable business. Maurice Romero is the founder of Empire Coin and Valuables. Empire Coin travels the country offering rebuy events for gold, silver, platinum, coins and jewelry, Native American wares, and many other type of collectibles. Empire Coins has a brick and mortar storefront in Sun City, Arizona. Their passion is taking care of the customers that have saved their valuables for years and making sure they get a fair price. Maurice has a passion for being a steward of history, making sure these family heirlooms that have been saved for years get passed on with integrity and not just thrown away or destroyed for a quick buck. And with that, we'll jump into the podcast. Maurice, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, let's jump into, Maurice, who you are and how you got started in the coin business and moving into how you became a steward of history. Okay, sure. So I'll give you the uh, Cliff Notes version of how I ended up um, first as an entrepreneur, right, and then in the precious metals and coin industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So my background is in accounting and finance. I did work in that industry for a number of years, first in the public sector as a public accountant and then in the private sector um, where I worked my way up in a small tech company out in Woodland Hills, California, um, from being the accounting manager to being the controller of that company and, um, created a lot of success simply through a lot of hard work, focus, dedication. And there came a moment where I experienced like, is this it? Like this is, I, you know, put myself through college been working hard. I got to this space where, you know, is this all there is to life? Like, you know, I, I would get up in the morning, go put in a hard day's work, mm-hmm. managing an enterprise, and then go back home and do it all over again the next day. And somehow, um, believe it or not, it was like 1999, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad landed in my hands, right? And so when I read that, it just, it was a complete paradigm shift where now it was bothering me that my source of income was an earned, you know, earned income. And it was, it began to bother how much of that income actually went to taxes and all that stuff. Right. Uh, Especially once you get over the six figure salary, they're just like heavily taxed, you know? And, and so that's what started my journey into looking at what's next for me. It's like, I was clear at that moment, okay, I'm not going to continue to do this. And you know, that, Reading that book and having that paradigm shift is what eventually landed me in, um, first I was a day trader, right, Uh, creating monies in the markets for like four years. I traded the stock market, really dove into that and had the, you know, just, I don't know if it's just luck or that it was luck that I found mentors that were generational people that traded the stock markets that that helped me forward and helped me to understand the way the market the markets work and the way the sectors impact each other which made me a successful day trader um 
eventually my brother and I got into real estate investing and that brought me out to Phoenix the first time. So as you know, now wearing that entrepreneur hat, it was like, okay, how do we create residual income and how do we, you know, leverage the capital that I had generated stock in the stock market. And we got into, uh, buying and flipping homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to shorten that story up that eventually, you know, eventually I went back to California my brother stayed here in Arizona, and I was flipping homes in California when um, this opportunity – I was at a Los Angeles Wealth Expo, and I saw these trucks that were advertising trucks. And um, I don't know if you've seen them in Las Vegas. They've got like windows all the way around, and they've got the billboards that scroll. They're backlit, and they just drive around heavy traffic areas, and, and they're advertising and um, my buddy and I, who at the time we were partnering up on on real estate deals, decided, hey, let's just buy one of these instead of paying you know six thousand dollars a month for a billboard. Let's buy one of these trucks. I was uh, at that time engaged in two different mastermind groups. I had a mastermind group in at that time was Palm Springs area and one in Orange County in the uh, Anaheim area. And so when we took this idea of what we were doing to the mastermind group it became a business in itself. Everybody was enrolled and they were like, Hey, I want to let's, let's create a separate business out of it. And when we took it to our mastermind in orange County, they were enrolled and that suddenly became its own business. Right? So I got into the advertising business, not knowing anything about it. And, um, unfortunately, um, the way things worked out is nobody lived up to their end of the agreement. And I, as an entrepreneur, had to keep that business going and generate it, and you know it just cost me a lot of work, a lot of effort. And um, the 2008 market crash came around, and a lot of the builders, a lot of the real estate people that were advertising on my trucks went out of business. Dish Network. Um, was one of my big clients on those trucks. Uh, they pulled back a lot of the dealers that were advertising in my trucks. You know, pulled back because their advertising dollars um, shrunk. And needless to say, that company eventually went out of business. And so, what happened after that or during that was, I landed a job. My brother had found somebody out here in Phoenix that was running these types of shows that I now do, right? Like, so I became a buyer. I didn't want anything to do after that with, with running a business. It's kind of like, oh my God, I failed. <laughs> I, I need some time to regroup. Mm-hmm. And traveling around the country running buying events sounded like, you know, like the perfect thing. I had been visualizing uh, through all the chaos. I was meditating and visualizing quite a bit. That's part of who I am as well, right? It's like I'm very spiritual in in that regard. And so even though there was a storm around me during this, uh, the name of that company was Adifex Media, during the the end of those days, I I still meditated daily, visualized daily. And I remember I used to visualize myself traveling the country in an RV, like for some reason, you know, and, and needless to say, I have an RV now, right? But, <laughs> you know, I would visualize myself doing that. And then, you know, I had a conversation with my brother and he's like, hey, they just fired four managers and they're looking for a manager uh, of these teams right away. Would you be willing to take that on? 
and when he told me what it was about, it's like, you know, what am I going to be doing? Well, you're going to be traveling all over the country, you know, managing these We Buy events, and you're going to manage other teams that are in other cities. And um, I linked them up. Like, you know, I've been visualizing traveling the country. Maybe this isn't going to happen in an RV, but it showed up in a different way. And there was just a willingness to kind of pay attention to the signs, right? And, right. and so I just, this is it, you know, I took it. And while I was taking that opportunity, um, completed the Adifacts, uh, you know, marketing deal, and we had a deal with getting rid of the trucks and a bunch of other stuff. But um, I was on the road with that company for nine months, and I just really loved, you know, all the stuff that w would come into our shows. Like mm -hmm. I just dove into learning everything there was. I already knew quite a bit about the financial markets, right, where when it comes to foreign exchange currencies and the stock market. Like when I was in that world, I already had a pretty big understanding of how the, the it, it, it all comes together globally, right? And then now we added the precious metals um, side of it where it was like how does gold and silver interact with all the other markets. And <clears throat> and so that just fascinated me. Um the antiquities that we would deal with fascinated me. Um, anything from, you know, 700-year-old samurai swords to, mm. you know, 200-year-old pocket watches. Um, and just ultimately, you know, I like, I, like everything else, just have the willingness to dive in and learn everything I can about it. And that's what I did. And in those nine months – produced quite a track record of successful shows and nine months into it the owner of the company called me and said hey i need help managing this business um it's gotten to a point where i can't handle it are you willing to come and be the ceo and 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 i took it on you know um after spending nine months on the road, I was like, okay, I've had enough of travel, living out of a suitcase. Mm -hmm. So that's what brought me to Phoenix. And uh, to make a long story short, um, managing that company was a lot more challenging than I thought because there was a lot more going on behind the scenes than, than I even knew was going on being out on the road. There was a, definitely a toxic environment. There was, uh, you know, the owner of the company and, you know, I don't want to get into details, but just a, a lot of gambling, a lot of um, monies just bleeding out of the company at large levels, right? You're talking $150,000, $200,000 a weekend in wow. Vegas constantly, consistently. And it be, it was tough managing it because I'd have 18 roadshows out there. And and I think I'd have the capital to run that biz to to basically make good on all the checks we were writing out there, and then come to find out the next day Monday morning the funds weren't there anymore and it was just a challenge. So that's what eventually led me to to starting my own company. You know, I did the Landmark Forum and um, discovered some things about me after the marketing company had collapsed. I made a lot of stories up about myself and, you know, I'm really good at making other people's companies successful, but as a, as the guy wearing the ultimate hat, right, of owner, CEO, mm -hmm. I couldn't make it a go. That was the story. And so I, I discovered a lot about myself in the forum 
two weeks later, quit this job that I had, started my own company. And then that company that I used to run eventually, like six to seven months later, went went bankrupt. You know, it just they couldn't manage it and it just went bankrupt. And so um, a lot of those employees that used to work for me over there came to work for me here. Um, and so that's how I got into the pre- in, in the industry that I'm in. You know, this was uh, almost six years ago that uh, I created Empire Coin Valuables. We're still doing road shows. We now have a brick and mortar store, and you know we continue to look at how do we make a difference in every community we go into. Uh, there's communities out there um, that only have access, or some that don't have any access at all. But a lot of them only have access to pawn shops and things like that. That may, for the most part, right, take advantage of the situation. And so we pride ourselves in that. We're bringing integrity to a business model that historically lacks it, and mm. and it makes it tougher for us, right? It makes it tougher because our margins are smaller, because it's going to take a lot more work for us to continue to grow and expand. But I believe firmly in that if we create this reputation, and we have been, right? We're, we're A-plus BBB members since the beginning, um, if we continue to create our name and our brand in the in the communities that we go into as the trusted company, that we're going to be okay, you know, despite the chaos and the ups and downs and and all that. That's what I really like about this is that you know you came across this passion almost by accident, and then it, you dis- decided to take it to a level where. Um, you know, I'm not going to be the typical used car salesman, for lack of better words. I'm going to be the guy that really honors these people's intentions because they have a lot of care into these artifacts and collectibles that they have. So, Maurice, if we can, I'd like to talk more about when you decided that you really enjoyed the collectibles industry and what about it inspires you. So, you know... What inspires me about it is, and this is something that a lot of our customers on the back end don't get to hear the whole story, but the stories and the relationships that we create with our customers and to really um, get into their world, um, what fascinates me is every person that comes into our show or event has an extraordinary story to be told. Mm. Um, Whether they live through wars fled from different countries and came to this country, um, you know, experienced the experiences that they've had. And when they come in and say, you know, this, this item here, you know, was my mother's and then the story that comes with the hardships and, and now like who they are now, it's just, it's a fascinating thing. Right. Um, and there, and so there's like these little bits of history that, for for all intents and purposes is a forgotten thing right mm-hmm. and when i can bring something out from some that's been buried in a closet or in an attic for years and decades and decades and i can bring it back out into a community of collectors that say oh my god that is a unique piece and then they hear the story behind it i mean i've you know i've purchased um you know, solid 14 karat gold flapper purse. I purchased this 
you know, which is, you know, it was the thing was it it had about $8,000 in gold in it, right? But that's not the fascinating thing. The fascinating thing is, is that this purse was created out of gold, solid gold, to sneak gold out of Germany during (laughs) during the world war ii holocaust and they were like figuring out ways to take value out the people that were able to flee and escape right Mm -hmm. and so this was a you know a purse that this is a story that was given to me right like her mother carried this as a regular purse and you know used it to escape out of the country as her purse but it, it was made out of gold right so just fascinating right like the things that people go through and and the experiences and so that that later got you know um later it got placed with a collector where the story actually made a difference Mm -hmm. you know and it's like oh my god this is it's a unique piece because of the history and what it went through and what it meant for the family and even though it never had to be melted for its value it was always like a safety net. They knew once they were in this country that if if they needed to, they had this gold in this purse. And 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 to just think that you know it could have been destroyed at any time for its value. That this family, um, you know, didn't have to do that. They did whatever they had to do here to survive and not depend on that money that was that was in the gold in the purse, right? So. So it's just, you know, what what fascinates me about what I do is that, the people, the stories, um, the items. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a mystery. We don't know what we're going to run into today. <laughs> and that's that's the great part about it. Did you find this love while you were on the road working for the other company? Or is this something that you had when you were younger and then it kind of evolved into what it is today? No, I found it on the road, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I found it on the road and I, and I often look back and like, what are the chances, you know, what are, you know, honestly, if I hadn't been visualizing every day that I would be traveling the country, Mm -hmm. like I would have never taken the opportunity to travel the country, you know, and that's, what's interesting is that, um, did, did, was there, something in those visualizations that knew okay this is going to be your next thing right mm-hmm. here i am um 11 years i believe 11 years later now living in phoenix myself which i never thought i would do um married you know i got married last june i met my wife out here and you know we've we have a terrific relationship and we just married last June and it's just looking back at that time of, you know, the turmoil in my last business and, um, and looking at where I'm at today, mm-hmm. right? Like just recreated myself and continue to, to be a stand for growth and for growth and for growth. Right. And so, so yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I don't I don't know how to. Um, I I never grew up thinking I was going to be a coin dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never grew up thinking I was going to be dealing in diamonds. Like this is just th- they're just things that, you know, as they come into my experience, it's like okay, let me look into this more. Right? Like yeah. we definitely know a lot. Of, I definitely know a lot about coins and numismatics. That you know, growing up, I 
it was not interesting to me. I mean, it was never, you know, my dad wasn't a coin collector. His dad wasn't a coin collector. It just wasn't in our, in, in our reality, you know, and now it's like, wow, like these coins, you know, I know so much about mints now and mints that got sacked during the civil war and, mm-hmm. and why these are rare and why the, you know, and it's just like the stories about them is what fascinates me. So have you started collecting anything since you've been in the collection business? I collect um, bullion. <laughs> I'm more of an investor, right? I, I've got gold and silver, and I'm still like my my background in the markets and in the um, you know currencies. Um, so I, I I invest a lot in gold and silver, and I do collect some things. Um, I've I've become very fond of uh, of authentic samurai swords. Mm-hmm. So, whenever there's an opportunity for me to pick up an authentic two or three four hundred year old samurai sword and, and add it to my collection, I definitely will do the, do do that. <laughs> do you hang that up on the wall inside your house? Uh, not yet. No. no, that would be that sounds just like such a cool thing. Yeah. Um, so while we're on the subject, and and I'm a gold and silver investor too. And you've dabbled into stuff much more than I have. What's your prediction for the next 10 years with gold and silver? Well, my <laughs> prediction, <laughs> as, as you know, I don't, controversial as it might be, and I'm not sure that it is controversial, but um, I, I see gold and silver as being um, very undervalued at this time. Mm-hmm. And one thing we have to remember is is the value of gold and silver doesn't go up or down, right? It a, a, an ounce of silver or an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. Right. What what goes up and down is the buying power of the dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, so right now, based on today's d- buying power of the dollar, right, gold is at about what uh, just under twelve hundred. The now here's where. The mystery is, right, how did our dollar get so strong over the last couple of years such that it only takes $1,200 to buy an ounce of gold? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I strongly believe gold should be over $2,000. Like nothing has happened um, in our economy that says, okay, we doubled. Here, here's the thing. It went from $900. We did the bailouts. We put trillions of dollars into the market backed by nothing, which in essence – liquidated or or diluted the buying power of our dollar two to one Mm -hmm. right so then we immediately saw gold reset up to almost two thousand dollars an ounce right and that's because suddenly there's double the amount of currency on the market um naturally there was no added value right there was just currency added naturally now it would take twice as many dollars to buy it right and how how it retracted from there all the way down back to a little over a thousand, like you know, in my opinion, there's some manipulation of the markets going on. Yeah. And my prediction over the next ten years is that eventually that's going to reset. Right. There's a lot of conversation out there on the streets and with people about how the currency markets are very shaky. I mean, you see things happening all over the place. I mean, look look what, what, what happened in Greece. Mm-hmm. Look what's happening in India. Um, there's a lot of shakiness in the global currency markets. And, and so when 
the currencies lose their buying power, precious metals go up in value. Yeah. And that's why I'm just a big I'm I'm a big proponent of everyone should have some precious metals, you know, um some silver stashed away just in case, you know. When you know, I've read a lot of uh, material around this and and what they what they say is when the currency crashes, it's going to take 3 hours for the entire country to come to a halt. Wow. Three hours. Wow. Right? Um, That's it. So if you didn't go pull any cash out of your ATM, guess what? There's not going to be anything to pull out of the ATM. Wow. Um, And so this is the thing that for the most part, people are walking around like everything's going to be fine. And it may be, and I hope it is, right? It's one of those things. Mm And if it's not, like I'm definitely not going to be caught without precious metals. And so that's my 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 prediction is is that it's going to go up. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm in alignment with those that say, you know, gold should be at five or six thousand, silver should be equal value. Okay. You know. Um, What's your thoughts yeah. on cryptocurrency and bitcoins? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't dabble too much in that. Um, I like the idea of it. I just don't know um, how people are going to rely on those currencies if the market crashes. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things we got to remember: if the market crashes, like it all goes down, including your power power sources, right? The power grids. Yeah. Like, how how do you manage a cryptocurrency when there's no power to manage it? You know. Um, and that's my only concern with it is that it's strictly internet based and, and if the internet goes down for six months, even if it only goes down for six months, like what are you going to be able to do with it? Right. You know, because that's the thing, the next, um, you know, I don't know if you've, you've read anything about it, but they say the next big bubble is this credit, credit bubble. Yeah. Right, like there is the illusion that our gross national product is rising and the country's doing better, but it's it's all on credit. Yeah, you know, and eventually there's going to be no more credit to give. It's going to be like the housing market, right? And yeah. once uh, a big international bank pulls out of backing this country um, from a credit standpoint, <clears throat> it all it all goes down. Right, it blows. Yeah. Um, a movie that I really enjoyed was <clears throat> that talks about a lot of this stuff was The Big Short. Have you seen it? Oh yes, absolutely. And and for any listeners out there that's um, curious about this stuff, The Big Short has to hands down be one of the best made movies to explain it in layman's terms of, of actually what happened with the the global crisis and housing crisis of two thousand eight two thousand nine and what the big banks really got away with that they shouldn't have absolutely shouldn't have and how they just reconstructed their verbiage and their communication to continue to do the same thing today that they were doing back then that put us in that crisis, which is scary. What's your, your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on what the banks are doing yeah, yeah, and how they're basically doing the same thing that put us into the oh, yeah. global crisis of 2009 just with um, different names of products and different yes. verbiage. Well, it's 
it's like, what else are they going to do? Right. Yeah. Um, and I get it. And I get it from their perspective. Like they need to stay alive in the market. And unfortunately, look it, exactly what they did. Right. They just wheelbarrowed over every customer. Um, they, you know, people, this is one of the, 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 the great things about the business that I was in that I happened to be in during this big crisis. And it was, you know, people lost their homes. People were struggling to put food on a table. People moved in with family members and you had several families living in one house trying to get through what these banks created out there in our entire country. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I happened to be in an industry where, they needed money to survive and and i feel really good about the fact that we were out there in those in that market giving them fair value right yeah and but here's the thing uh the the banks and i don't want to talk bad about all the banks right i mean i have a bank a business bank i bank with wells fargo but but it's something to be very um cautious about in my opinion um and let's see. Um, the thing about banks is that they create money from nothing, right? They let you borrow money. They 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 invent money based on what having ten percent of their holdings. They can ten times lend out what what's deposited in their accounts, right? Yeah. It's not real money. It's just invented, and then they charge interest on it, right? But here's here's the thing that I I came to fu- to learn recently that kind of gets me to think, right? Your money, when you have a twenty dollar bill or a coin in your hand, and it says legal for tender, like that's the only thing that's legal for tender. Mm-hmm. Numbers on a bank, numbers in your account. If you're looking at your account online and it says this is how much money I have in the bank. Guess what? None of that is legal for tender. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so so banks because <laughs> here's another thing, like why is silver so cheap? Well, guess what? Three major banks are buying it big time. Yeah. Right? Um there there's been a lot of huge huge purchases in silver conveniently when silver is very low. Um because I believe that there is going to be a new currency issued and it's going to have to be silver backed and gold backed, right? Mm-hmm. So these banks want to continue to have the resources or be positioned, position themselves to actually continue to be a bank, only now they're going to be backed by silver or backed by gold, right? Yeah. So, so I don't, I, I probably didn't answer your question at all, <laughs> right? Um, I I think it's just it's one of those things where they want to maintain control mm-hmm. of the market, of course, um, and control of the economy, right? They control everything, right? So they're going to continue to do what they have to do to maintain that control, and I think us as individuals, when we start to, you know, store our surplus monies into precious metals then we kind of give them the finger and say, no, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. going to play your game. I'm going to be so- sovereign in my own way. And um, 
and and we can just hope that you know the government never comes out and confiscates gold again and silver you know like they did in the past right they confiscated the country's gold um so there's a lot of those concerns going around i mean i i my store is in sun city arizona for a for a reason right my customer base is a lot of these retirees um that are the coin dealers the coin collectors the, the investors and and you know there's a lot of um a lot of these guys that that are retired ceos of big fortune 500 companies and retired you know they're they're people that had big lives a lot of them you know and so when they come and share something because you know they have their networks of people like i listen like what are these guys saying right like um and there's a lot of concern there's a lot of concern about the 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 currency market about the u.s currency out there and i'm just reporting on what i'm hearing right like and and preparing and that's why when it comes to what are banks doing it's like they want all the money before it all transitions you know and and i and again for myself I question my. I ask myself, why is it? How did I end up in the precious metals market? You know, why do I deal in gold and silver? And and what's come up in in some of my meditations is, well, eventually there's going to have to be a gold back bank, you know, that um, treats the community fairly. And right. again, that's that's kind of where I keep going to and, and continue to be in the exploration of what's next for Empire Coin and Valuables. And, and maybe in the future, we do get into banking, but gold-backed banking, you know? Yeah. So, very good. Well, we, we jumped off a bit off topic, yes. but that was great. <laughs> I think that was still valuable information. Let's jump back into your business, Maurice, and your expertise. And again, I really, I'm inspired by how um, important of work you think this is as being a steward of history and, and passing stories on from one generation to the next generation and collectibles. Um, as an expert in this field, what are two or three things that you would recommend for somebody who is either saving collectibles or has collectibles and they're torn between um, getting rid of them and where to do that or holding on to them and where they could get, you know, how to find maybe the right type of company other than your company, if they're not near you, that could do that for them? Yeah. Well, certainly, um, we're not the only ones out there um, being a stand for preserving, you know, the historical items of, you know, the people of this country, right? Um, The only thing, well, and and that's the stand I would say I would recommend people need to take. Right. Like these are let me find out if these are highly, you know, if these are coveted items or if there's collectors out there that are interested in these items before just selling them to the first person that offers them a few bucks. You know what I mean? There's a lot of a lot of the times people don't know what they have. 
Right. And, you know, we deal with the states where they don't, they don't know that this item out of all the stuff they have is, is the one of value, right? And so one of the things to be cautious about is for people to come in and, and you know, if they're dealing with the state items or if something got passed down to them, just the first person that says, hey, I'll give you X amount of dollars for this whole collection – you know, I think it, it's it's worthwhile to put a little bit of research. You know, with mm-hmm. with you know Google and the internet at our fingertips, right? It's not hard to find information about anything, right? right. And eBay eBay is a good place to start. Really, we sell quite a bit of our stuff through eBay because we've had collectors and buyers all over the country that that know we constantly post stuff on our eBay site. But it is a good place to search for completed listings on certain items. And when you start to see certain items bring in a higher dollar value, then you know you have something. And maybe it's time to do a little bit more research on that item. Not right. that you're going to take – okay, if it, you know, eBay to me is, is like a wholesale environment. Yeah. Right? And you may want to wholesale it, but you may not. Right. You may actually want to put it into the hands of – you know, we've had – old Japanese notes that we've bought a collection of like Japanese notes, which are old currency from Japan that were being purchased by a museum in Japan. Oh, wow. Right. Like these are going to be displayed in, they are displayed in museums and there may be things like that. We've had squash blossom, turquoise jewelry, that's museum quality that are being displayed in museums. And so you want to make sure that, you you know if you've got something of value that you get it into the right hands and it would take you finding a company like us who's committed to that in your area we certainly do business um you know we do road shows all over the country but we also have because we've done road shows all over the country for years we have customers all over the country and even though we're not doing a show in their backyard this week or this month um they ship you know, they'll, they'll mail stuff to us or they'll send us pictures and we'll do some research and we'll say, hey, this is what you got here. And they can ship it to us or or not, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. First, I, my, my recommendation is for them to, um, to, to have enough interest in the items to figure out whether it's something of value or not. Because certainly there's a lot of stuff out there that has no value, yeah. you know. And that's the hardest part is – and I think that's where most people get taken advantage of is in the not knowing. Mm. You know, oh, they didn't know they had something of value, so they let it go for 20 bucks. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And that happens way too often, right? Way too often. And and a lot of buyers out there are hoping that that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's the sad thing, right? Um because I see it as sad because here's the thing. You have a generation of retirees that got sold on an idea of, of having Social Security and retiring and enjoying their golden years. People that saved for a lifetime to enjoy their golden years that suddenly with inflation and with medical costs rising, suddenly they're living check to check. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, you know, for me, it's just like that's just a terrible thing. Yeah. And and then to take their item that may have value and give them $20 for it, that's like, right, adding f- fuel to the flame, so to speak. And it's like, no, like we need to take care of these people. And 
and if you know you're someone who you're looking to to sell some items for your grandmother or for your aunt or for somebody like you know there could be some things in there that could really help them out in their situation whatever it is you know i love the bigger picture that you have on this whole business and how it all works and interacts with each other if you're going to say maurice um can you share like some secrets to your success what makes you um, a successful entrepreneur but also um, um, what makes you really engaged in the bigger picture of this you know i've done definitely committed to a lifetime of growth and development right that's one thing never never stop growing never stop uh challenging yourself and i've done a lot of work with enterprises like you know landmark education and now psi seminars and and what's interesting is that at at the root of a lot of this transformational work is is being outwardly focused, like being interested in people, being interested in what they're up to and what they're dealing with and, and making a difference. And that's, I think, inside of my work with like Landmark is really where I really connected to like what's really important. You know, I've made money. I've I've had success. And, uh, and certainly I haven't reached my, right, my ceiling. Um, but the question of what is it all about continues to come up for me and it is about making a difference and right. making a difference and 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 that's that's something that i recommend for any entrepreneur like look at your business from the standpoint of how can i make a difference you know i and certainly before landmark i was always into growth and development and you know read books by you know zig ziglar jim rome and you know, obviously Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and just any book out there. But if you really look, there's there's always this foundational principle of helping enough other people get what they want, and you'll get what you want. Right. You know. And so I'm always looking at how can I give people what they want, listening for what they want, and just trusting. You know, this is like one of those universal principles, just trusting that I'm going to get what I want if I'm just focused on helping people get what they want. I love it. I love it. I love it. Maurice, we're going to have to wrap up there. I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and wisdom and your passion about the collectibles industry. If there's some listeners out there that want to get a hold of you, where's the best way they can do that? Uh, best way to go to get a hold of me is uh, you can go right to our website. It's empirecoin.us. Uh, that's E-M-P-I-R-E-C-O-I-N dot U-S. Uh-huh. Or, or they can email me at Maurice, which is M-A-U-R-I-C-E, at EmpireCoin.us. Be happy to um, answer any questions or support anyone looking looking to liquidate any valuables and have any questions. We'd be happy to support them. Awesome. Maurice Romero, steward of history and founder of Empire Coin and Valuables. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. And that's a wrap. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Chris. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. 
Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world seriously and so cool all right buddy well anything else new how's the the wifey and in the lifey <laughs> good you know it, it's Different. Is she doing PLD too? She is. Wow. So and wow. uh, we just did the the site the site seven right like last late October. Oh nice. And uh, we did PL, We're doing PLD now, and in March we'll do um, men's leadership, and she'll do women's leadership nice. this coming March. So. So we, we're finally we, we've done all the work possible at Landmark, and we're like, okay, what's next? Size <laughs> <laughs> <Thai> seminars, <laughs> and um, and then we, you know, we figured we knew going in, it's okay, we're going to do the whole thing. So let's just let's just do it. That's cool, man. Um, uh, MLS was the bomb diggity for me. For me, there's there hasn't been anything better really than MLS. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was just awesome. I think you'll you'll get a lot out of it. I'm sure you will. Yeah, looking forward to that. I'm actually like I did all the size stuff, and um, I want to do start some landmark stuff. And yeah. So I've been checking out. I almost did one. There was one in Bangkok um, last mm-hmm. November. I almost went down there, but I was uh, decided to do my finances instead. That was, <laughs> that, was that week, and and then um, um, so I think this summer in Europe I'll I'll probably pick up a landmark uh, form. Definitely, yeah, and and really, you know, once you do the landmark forum, definitely there's a lot that opens up, right? As yeah. far as the continuing of it. But one thing I will say is, um, definitely look at the wisdom course. Okay. You know, uh, it's like an it's a it's an advanced, you know, senior graduate conversation. Um, it's a course that takes place over ten months. It's five weekends, wow. but. But it's a powerful course. Everybody I've enrolled into that course, their life today looks completely different, wow. you know, and um, and in a big way, you know, um, businesses double incomes from struggling thirty to forty grand last year, one hundred and eighty thousand, you know, um, mm. things like that. Um, and it really is, um, you know, in that course, we we take on um, our life is nothing, nothing. Our life is given by the network of conversations we are, yep. you know, and it's yep. just managing. And, and and that's something that I use today daily, constantly in my business is really, you know, and that's one of the things I was looking at your questions here a little while ago. And it's like, uh, you know, n- you know, tell the listeners about your expertise, you know, and and I don't know, looking at that, it's like, well, my expertise really is inside of um, – being in business, right? I don't know that I can say 
well, I'm the expert in gold and silver, and although I do know quite a bit about it, I don't know that that expertise is what gives me my success so much as managing the conversations that we're engaged in and mm-hmm. the and the conversations we're putting out into the public and who we who we say we are for the public and constantly putting that conversation in and word of mouth just coming, you know, just in, in everywhere and with the team, right? Like managing the conversations of what the business is and what we're up to and making sure we don't get in let allow the conversations in the business to 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 get into uh, you know, some downward spiral of a conversation or some limiting conversation or some close-ended conversation. and You know what I mean? Right, right. Definitely so, makes sense. So that's kind of uh, – it's – and a lot of these conversations that, you know, we we are are young conversations, we call them, right? And, and, and PSI, you start to look at your programs, but it's kind of like that, right? It's – you started saying something and you were probably seven years old and then mm-hmm. you still say it. You know, yeah. And so your life as an adult is is given by convert things you decided when you were seven, and you started to say when you were seven or yeah. eight or nine or ten or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's anyways. My I would recommend definitely once you get into uh, into that, just check it out. It, it, it's a powerful conversation, and I think for what you're up to in the entrepreneur house, it's like every entrepreneur, right? Um. There could be an awareness or an attention around what actually comes out of their mouth. You know? I actually um, do work with that because um, we do this event called the Focus 55. And um, I do an exercise where, um, you know, the Focus 55 is all about it's 55 hours of intense productivity. But you make a goal at the beginning and you commit to that goal. So I make the people come up to the front of the room and I ask them, okay, Maurice, are you the type of person that I can count on that will finish this goal? And they have to say yes and then shake my hand and make eye contact at the same time. Mm-hmm. But, but they also then design an accountable person versus an unaccountable person. And they list the traits up on a whiteboard of the accountable person and then a list of traits or of a person that keeps their word. And then they list the traits of a person that breaks their word often. I'm like, okay, what type of person do you want to be? And they all say, I want to be the type of person that keeps their word. And then at the end of it, we review, did you actually keep your word or not? So we mm-hmm. we dive into that, which is a pretty powerful exercise. But I think I'd like to get more in, um, you know, even more, more into the personal development slash you know mindset stuff bringing in in the workshops of the entrepreneur house for sure (coughs) so 